Now tell me that is not just about the coolest thing that you have ever heard in your life. That you can commit the most horrendous atrocity under the sun. And then God comes back from the dead and says, I love you. I want you in my family. I want you in my life and death. And I want to give you the forgiveness of sins. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. If you are a guest here, you've never worshipped with us before, there's something that you've got to know about my preaching and, and really something you've got to know about preaching in general. It is my responsibility as preacher, and it is a responsibility of every preacher to not only interpret a scripture for you, but actually to help you to experience the scripture that we're diving into today. Um, the reason that I bring that up is that that's a little bit of a problem for us today because we have a text in front of us today that is kind of exceptionally confrontational. And so I kind of wanted to offer this, uh, this beginning comment as a little bit of a warning that if I'm being confrontational in this sermon, it's not because that's who I am as a person, but it's because I'm preaching that way, because I want you to experience this text exactly like the original hearers did on this Pentecost day. So what is Pentecost Day? This is the context of the text that we're going to get into. Um, the context is this, that, that Peter, one of the main disciples, he is up and he is preaching the first sermon that was preached since, that, since the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And what we're going to do with this text is we're going to drop in right at the end of the sermon and we're going to see this sermon that he preached to thousands of people. You're going to hear the conclusion that Peter reached, and you're going to hear how the people reacted to that point, and you're going to hear what Peter said to do about it. So those three things, are you ready for them? We'll dig in here. If you have your Bible there at home, we're going to be digging in into Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. The end of Peter's Pentecost sermon. He said there, <clears throat> Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is God's word. Now, there is an impressive number at the end of this text, isn't there? It's the number 3,000. 3,000 people believed and were baptized on one single day. It's an impressive number. It's a number that even I can remember. I want to show you this. Can I show you how impressive this number really is? First of all, you got to remember that, that the world in this time is a lot less densely populated than the world is today. There are billions more people on the earth right now in this moment than they were in that moment. And so 3,000. In that context, in that time, it's a huge, impressive number. But even today, that's still a big number, isn't it? You know, it's still a small city. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin called Lake Mills. It was about 3,000 people. And it was was as if that whole town was instantly converted to Christ. It's 3,100s. You're talking mathematically, it's 3,100s. It's 3,000s. It's especially big when you consider that the entire Christian church at that time, you know how many people were in the entire Christian church on earth at that time? It was about 100 people. And so what this represents for the church, if you think about it, is it represents an instantaneous 300% growth. And if you are a business, or if you're a church plant like we are, then then you look at a number like a 300% growth, and you salivate over it. (laughs) And you salivate over it if it happens over a course of, of five or ten years. But this happened in a moment. 3,000 people. And if you continue to extrapolate that out into the, further, into the future, then, then you get a sense of whatever power that happened in that moment to have those 3,000 people believe and be baptized. That power was explosive and profound. That much is obvious. That's why we celebrate this festival called Pentecost. And and, and I'm going on at length about this because I hope you're getting a sense of the power that was in that moment of Pentecost. I hope you're getting a sense of the power that filled those 3,000 people that came to believe and be baptized on that one day. It kind of prompts this question. You know, it it makes you think, what was that power? We really want to find out. Don't you want to leverage that kind of power? Don't you wish that you could just grab that kind of power and put it in a bottle and put a cap on it so that you can use it whenever you'd like to? I do. (laughs) 
And I'll tell you why I wish I could bottle up that power. Because something that I think about when I consider the number 3,000, it's not just a number. People are not just numbers. Souls are not just numbers. Those are immortal souls. 3,000 immortal souls believed and were baptized. I want to use that power so that people can know Christ. And I know you want to use that power too. So that's the question, right? What is that power? What is that power that made those 3,000 people jump into Christ's church? And if you're looking for that answer along with me, you need to look no further. The answer is in this text. The power that worked in 3,000 people's hearts that day was this. Luke tells us. He tells us that it was cutting. Cutting did that. It was spiritual, surgical cutting. That's what Luke, the author, tells us that it was. He says that Peter cut them to their hearts. And here he used these words to do that. He said, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is what Peter was saying, really. He's saying, and by the way, this is where the sermon gets a little bit confrontational. Peter said this to the people. He said, be assured of this, Israel. You want to be assured of something. You want to be sure about one fact in your life. Be assured of this. You killed God. No, actually, it's worse. You crucified him. And he's not done yet. He says, oh, and by the way, God's back. He's alive again. He has risen from the death that you put on him. You should probably think about that. Now, this sermon, it was being preached about a month and a half after Jesus had risen from the dead. And so these people in the crowd listening to Peter, they probably weren't the ones who had literally pounded the nails into his hands and his feet on Good Friday. And these probably weren't the self-same people that pushed the crown of thorns onto his forehead. But Peter comes to him and he says, I don't care that you weren't the ones that did them. He says, you guys are guilty of something so much worse than homicide. You're guilty of deicide. You killed God. Now, before you start to panic here, let me point something out to you. Remember that not all cutting is bad. All cutting hurts, but not all cutting is bad. I mean, you think about the kind of cutting that happens inside a hospital. You think about the surgical kind of cutting that happens under the watchful and trained eye of a doctor that has taken the Hippocratic Oath. That's the kind of, of cutting that happens when a spiritual doctor cuts 
like Peter did, and like I'm going to do right now when I tell you this. You killed God. No, it's actually worse. You crucified God. It doesn't matter if you were born 2,000 years after the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection. You can draw a line, a straight line from what has happened in your life to what happened on the cross. And I don't care what you've got in your head, the objections in your head about whether or not Jesus' death is on you. You weren't there. You didn't hammer in the nails. No, but your sins killed God. Your sins crucified him. This is the kind of spiritual cutting that hurts. And it hurts in order to really, truly heal. See, this is what happens here at Hope every single Sunday. God's word cuts us to the heart. And it reveals more and more to us about the depth of our sin. And it removes the blockages in us that have blocked us from having real hope, having real peace, and and that prevent us from truly seeing our Savior. You know, churches love to say that, that, that they are a hospital for sinners. And if we are truly a hospital here at Hope, it means that we got to get under the surface every once in a while. Because we got to remove spiritual tumors. And we have got to have it revealed in us that every one of our hearts are such a mess that we are guilty of something so much worse than homicide. We are guilty of deicide. Are you beginning to see the power that's here? It starts with the cutting of the spiritual scalpel. It starts with cutting so that the law may reveal to people their need for forgiveness. Because it's only when you see your need for forgiveness, it's only then that you're going to want forgiveness. It's only then that you're going to want the church and what Christ has to offer. You're going to want what Christ has to give you, those 3,000 people. On Pentecost, those 3,000 people who preached or preached to, who, who he cut to the heart in his sermon, they all universally wanted the same thing. It didn't matter their language, it didn't matter their background, their economic or political status, they all wanted the same exact thing. They all ached for the forgiveness of God. They were cut to the heart. They were contrite. They were repentant. They all recognized what they had going on in their hearts was so evil that it killed God. And so they asked this question to one another. They said to each other, Brothers, what shall we do? 
See, their question, it shows that they were understanding. They were understanding their guilt, that they were guilty of killing God. And they were starting to wonder, you know, what happens next? How in the world do we get onto good terms with this God who we nailed to a cross? How do we make things right with him? And answering those questions, that's the point of the church, right? To show you what happens next. And what happens next is this. This is what Peter said in response. He said, be baptized. That's all he said. Repent and be baptized. I have to point this out, and I love to point this out. That baptism is not technically something that you do. If it were, Peter would not have said, be baptized. He would have said something like, baptize yourself. You know, it's not something that you do for God or give to God. It's something that God does for you. It's something you receive. Something that's done to you and for you. Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is something that gifts you everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done. And that's why it's done in his name. And that's why it's done for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism isn't done for a reminder for us. And it's not a baptism that we do for God. It's a baptism that is done for the forgiveness of sins. For whatever it is that you've got going on in your heart that killed God. Baptism is for that. That's real. That's real forgiveness of sins. And that's what Peter said to do about their situation with God. (laughs) Now, let's take that into the big picture here. You have a God who is so good and so loving that you can kill him and he still loves you. That's what God is showing you here. You killed him. No, you crucified him, and yet he still loves you. Peter said to those Peter people, he says to us, you killed God, but here's how to get right with him. Do absolutely nothing. He didn't go and give them a list of things that they have to do in order to, to appease an angry God. He knew that would never work. He knew he had a group of people in front of him who knew that there was nothing they could do to appease God or pay him back. They knew that they couldn't go back in time and uncrucify God. And so Peter tells them, do nothing, be baptized. He tells them, receive a gift. The forgiveness of sins. Now tell me that is not just about the coolest thing that you have ever heard in your life. 
that you can commit the most horrendous atrocity under the sun. And then God comes back from the dead and says, I love you. I want you in my family. I want you in my life and death. And I want to give you the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what we call that message? It's called the gospel. And the gospel is what works that true power. The gospel is what made 3,000 people jump into Christ's church in one moment. It is the gospel that heals hearts that have been cut to the heart. That's the gospel. And when you know the gospel, that's when you know God. That's when you know a God who is so powerful that he raises himself from the dead. And you know a God who is so good that he did it for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the power of the word. 